0: Almighty Triune God, for the love of the Father, we praise you. For the saving act of your Son, we praise you. For the power of the Holy Spirit, we praise you. Father, we ask that you now send your Spirit to be in our midst and to point us to Jesus. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. It's great to see you all this morning. Thank you for having me. I bring you uh, greetings from St. George's Anglican Church in Tunis, Tunisia. Um, we are right in the middle of uh, North Africa. And I have the distinction of representing the newest diocese in the Anglican Communion. And I mean that quite literally. We are, as a diocese, we are only a few months old. Uh, And it's not that often that in the worldwide Anglican communion, we see uh, the creation of new provinces or new dioceses. But our diocese is uh, is brand new. It's called the Diocese of North Africa. And it's so new, we don't even have a bishop. And I'm one of only two priests in the entire uh, diocese, even though uh, geographically, we're about the size of the lower 48 Um, And we only have three parishes. So the newest diocese in the Anglican Communion, huge space, lots of people, and virtually no access to the gospel. A true missionary diocese. Now, um, what do I mean when I say, use the word missionary or say missionary diocese? Surely uh, it comes as no surprise to you that uh, the guy who's living overseas and comes to visit is going to talk about missions. Um, Today we use that word missions to refer to all kinds of things. We'll use it, uh, you know, liberally in the church. We can use it to refer to things like uh, youth ministry or outreach to the poor or even you know, local church planting, and I don't mind how it's used, I don't have any problem with that, but I wonder if for the next few minutes, you and I can wrestle with this issue of how we are to engage with the places on this earth where there is huge space, lots of people, and virtually no access to the great news of Jesus. I'll tell you about when I first started wrestling with this. Years ago, when I was in seminary, we were shown a map of the worldwide Anglican communion. It's a beautiful map, and uh, it's a powerful map to look at, because while there are a few... Places on the map that are blank because they're very remote, you know, like the Arctic and that kind of thing. It shows that the Anglican communion has some sort of presence almost everywhere. It's traversed the globe. It was a remarkable map. But there was one glaring problem with this map that I noticed at the time. And that was the entire northern third of Africa was all one diocese. Now, in the parts of Africa that are south of the Sahara Desert, uh, the Anglican Church is established and vibrant and growing quickly. In the sub-Saharan region, there were um, hundreds of small dioceses with millions of people. But the entire northern third of Africa, uh, it was just labeled the Diocese of Egypt. And I saw that, and right there, right in front of my seminary professor, I called BS. I said, uh, don't tell me that this means we've penetrated all of North Africa, just this huge area, just because there are a few churches that are overseen by somebody in Egypt. It's a wonderful map, but we can't say the Anglican Communion is there. I called BS and um, I should tell you that I had a little bit of a reputation in seminary for rocking the boat Uh, one time I was I because I was interested in missions I was in this club that did missions type things and uh, a a bishop from Africa came to visit our seminary one time and um, the school administration Asked this club that I was in if we would organize his visit, if we would plan his, uh, his visit. And so they, they gave us this uh, folder with all this information about him and accolades about him and where he came from and what he's done. And, um, and in it, it said that his, in his diocese alone, there were over two million people. And it was growing and it was vibrant And of course, we were, at the time, we are in the Episcopal Church that had less than two million people and not growing and not vibrant. And I said, this guy represents more Christians um, in his diocese alone than we have in the entire Anglican Episcopal Church here in America. Why is the Missions Club planning this visit? So I ceremoniously gave the folder back to the school administration. And I said, I'm sure this bishop is a great guy. But this isn't missions. We were working off of this understanding that missions was about big space with lots of people, but no access to the great news of Jesus. So, even though the Christian church is blossoming in some parts of Africa, and we praise God for that, the part that is north of the Sahara Desert is very different. The northern third of Africa is mostly Arab and it's almost exclusively Muslim. And except for Egypt, there's not been a viable Christian church there for 1,500 years. And what I saw on that map of the Worldwide Anglican Communion was a remnant of the British uh, Empire. It was a remnant of British colonialism. There were a few churches started by the British so that Protestants um, who are foreigners or other British people have a place to go to church. But it never spread into the local indigenous populations. North Africa is a big space with lots of people and virtually no access to the great news of Jesus. And 21 years ago, that's where I moved. And it's become my life's work. The new diocese reflects a new reality. It's no longer about British and American people maintaining a handful of foreign churches uh, to serve other British and American people. It's no longer just a convenient addition to the church in Egypt. Um, It's no longer just a Uh, a reason to paint a big swath of land the same shade of yellow. It's now instead a new missionary diocese of North Africa, which is for North Africans, for Arabs, and meant to be led by North Africans. For 150 years, we weren't much more than just a, a British outpost. Um, But in just the last few months, it's all changed. And now the church that I lead and the diocese that I serve exists to reach out to North Africans and who have never had the chance to hear the great news of Jesus. Now our goal is to take on local customs and local identities. And now we're trying to bring transformation to our societies and be relevant to local people. We are no longer a huge, empty space on the map, shaded the same color because it's convenient, but we're a truly missionary diocese. A missionary diocese is when the church inhabits a huge space with lots of people and virtually no access to the great news of Jesus. In a missionary diocese, the Holy Spirit works through a small remnant to invade that huge space and to bring conviction on lots of people and to point to Jesus. And this is actually the process that our gospel reading today talks about. This gospel reading from John 16, the passage where Jesus says that he must go so that the Holy Spirit can come, is concerned with the Spirit working through this small remnant to reach large numbers of people who have never heard. This particular passage is important um, for those of us that work with Muslims for a whole other reason. It just so happens that actually Muslims know this passage also, and they will often quote it, um, because it's their understanding that in this passage Jesus is talking about this person who will come after him, that he's referring to Muhammad. So it's important that this passage is understood well by those of us who work with uh, Muslims. And in all fairness, you know, the passage is not very explicit and it's a little ambiguous and it doesn't say Holy Spirit. We know that it's talking about the Holy Spirit because we're reading the Bible within the context of its entirety but it is ambiguous and it uses ambiguous words like helper and convictor and spirit of truth. It's not absolutely clear immediately that it's talking about the Holy Spirit. But this is what Jesus says about this Mysterious person who will come in his absence. He says about him that he is a paraclete. That's the Greek word, a paraclete. This is a word that sometimes uh, um, translated as helper or encourager or advocate, and it is in some ways um, evokes the uh, the concept of a defense attorney. Fighting on your behalf, always there for you, and then it also says about this uh, spirit that will come after him that he is alenko, which is a another Greek word that means one who convicts. Um, it can mean uh, somebody who sheds light on something or dispels darkness, and it is used often to talk about. Um, Convicting people in, in the sense of a prosecutor does in a trial. And so what we have is Jesus talking about this one who will come after him, and he's calling him a, a defense attorney and a prosecutor at the same time. He's calling him a helper and a convictor, an Alenko and a paraclete. Well, that seems odd. Then at the same time, he would be this helper and a convictor. And I think, where in life do we see somebody or something, both our helper and our convictor, both our defense attorney and our prosecutor? Where do we see that? And you know what I think think of is the... uh, the concept of an intervention. You know, if somebody has a, a, some problem, usually a, an addiction problem, often there's an intervention to try to make sure this person gets help. And what's going on in this intervention is that there's, um, there's a conviction it, happening. The, the, um, there's people around this person saying, you're doing something wrong and we need to shed light on this. But at the same time, it's done with love and it's done supportively entirely because the people uh, love this person. So an intervention is this way to say, I love you, but I need to tell you the truth. It's a helper, but also a convictor. And this seems to be the kind of person That Jesus is describing the one who will come after him. The Holy Spirit. He will convict or shine light on us. But he'll also be our helper, our advocate. And it says that he's going to convict or shine light on these three areas. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, you and I might hear this and will think, oh, that's a wonderful thing about the Holy Spirit. He, he convicts us of our sin. He, he tells us um, how we can be righteous uh, and where righteousness comes from. And, and he convicts us about the final judgment and ultimate judgment. And we think, oh, this is a wonderful thing. But to those who've never heard, uh, this work of the Spirit can be offensive. If you think about it in this way, um, if I'm walking through a parking lot and I see an older woman struggling to put her groceries in her car, and I say, oh, let me help you with this, uh, then she'll say, oh, that's a very nice thing for this man to do. But if some stranger comes and helps Father Howard put his groceries in the car, says, oh, let me help you with this, sir, Father Howard would say, that's odd. Why is this guy helping me? Do I look like an invalid? What's, why, why is this guy helping me? Might, might be even insulted. And convicting us of sin is like this. See, when we experience conviction, uh, if we don't think we need help, we're insulted. If we think we need a little help, then we feel like, oh, this is something that's very nice. But if we are desperate we're desperate, then that helper becomes our Savior. And the role of the Holy Spirit in a huge space with lots of people who've never heard of the great news of Jesus is to have an intervention with people who, who don't know that they need Jesus and are, and are often insulted at the very suggestion of it. And Jesus says that this conviction, uh, this intervention, is in three areas: of convicting of us of our sin, a conviction of righteousness, and a conviction of judgment. And I, I, I think what he's saying there is that the convicting of sin is is getting to the question of what is wrong with us. And convicts of righteousness is to say, how do we get right? And the conviction of judgment answers the question, how is it all going to end? And this is what the Holy Spirit is active in doing. This is the Holy Spirit's role in a huge space with lots of people who've never heard the great news of Jesus. And the picture that this passage paints is like a, a land under a, a spell of an evil wizard. Um, and the spirit works to break the enchantment of the spell. His conviction is seen as an insult. His, his, his uh, intervention is, uh, angers them until this spell has been broken. And they're able to see the truth from the Holy Spirit. And I know that we all feel like our own land is under a spell. I, uh, certainly, I, I don't doubt that oftentimes you feel like Southern Nevada is under a spell and that the Holy Spirit needs to break the enchantment of, of your community. And I, and I think in some ways this um, conviction of the Holy Spirit for sin and righteousness and judgment is appropriate everywhere. Everywhere. But I can't read passages of the Bible like John 16 without first being reminded that the church must always be concerned with those places on this planet that are huge spaces with lots of people and have no access to the great news of Jesus. And they need the Holy Spirit to organize an intervention. Amen. Amen.